Good to be with you guys. We are continuing to talk about the Holy Spirit in our sermon series. And last week, if you recall, we talked about how the Holy Spirit, when it's filling a person, it makes a person courageous in word and deed ministry that exalts Jesus in his kingdom. Okay? Now, one of the things that I appreciate about Brandon and the music team is I think every Sunday they do just that. And so what ends up happening is I walk away from the service not thinking that, oh, Brandon is so fantastic, or the music team is so fantastic, but Jesus is so amazing and awesome because they engage in ministry and leading in such a humble way that it's all about Jesus. And so I am thankful for them. Um, so the question then becomes, if that's what the Holy Spirit does, it makes us, when we're filled with it, we become courageous in word and deed ministry that exalts King Jesus. That was the big idea last week. The question now becomes, how can we be filled with the Spirit? How can we be filled with the Holy Spirit? We're going to tackle that question today. In order to tackle that question, we're going to look at Acts 4, and we're going to look at verses... 23 through 31. I think I did read some of these um, last week, so they might sound familiar to you. Let me set this up. So Peter and John, they were on their way to the temple. On their way to the temple, they saw a man who had been lame since birth. He was in his 40s. So you can imagine what that guy must have felt like. But Peter and John, through the power of the Holy Spirit, they healed this man. Um, the result of that was that the crowds were like, oh my goodness, they're gathering around Peter and John and this man who was once lame, but is now not. And they're in amazement. And what Peter does is he uses the opportunity to tell the people that are gathered around that they did it through the power of Jesus Christ, who, by the way, they crucified, right? Um, as a result of Peter's sharing, the religious leaders catch wind that this is happening, and so they seize Peter and John, and they take them and threaten them to never do talk about Jesus again or perform the deeds that they just performed. And so this is where our passage uh, picks up on that story right in verse 23. And being let go, so as Peter and John let go, they went to their own companions and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. So when they heard that, they raised their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, you are God who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them, who by the mouth of your servant David have said, why did the nations rage and the people plot vain things? The kings of the earth took their stand and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For truly against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined before to be done. Now, Lord, look on their threats and grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word by stretching out your hand to heal and that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God with boldness. Now, when you read the book, the book of Acts, it's, it's clear that the reason why 
the apostles were able to do what they did, all the miraculous things they did was they were filled with the Spirit, right? And remember, there are two ways to talk about being filled with the Spirit. One way that the Bible talks about it is that initial reception of the Holy Spirit at conversion, right? The initial indwelling of the Holy Spirit in a believer's life when they put their trust in Jesus. The other way the Bible talks about being filled with the Spirit is in regards to a, a person whose attitudes, actions, thoughts, and behaviors are being controlled by the Spirit. They're in alignment with Jesus and His kingdom ways, right? And they're living that way. They're being filled with the Spirit. They're receiving fresh, fresh power and courage and peace and joy to live in God-honoring ways. We're, gonna be, we're, we're talking about being filled with the Spirit in that second sense. So the question is, how can we be filled with the Spirit? How can we receive fresh power um, from the Spirit to continue to engage in courageous word and deed ministry that exalts Jesus and His kingdom? Um, here's the big idea I want you to grab a hold of. We have both a passive and an active role in being filled with the Holy Spirit. That's the big idea. Now... Um, what people want to do all the time, I see this happen a lot, and this is dangerous, is they want to pit these two things against one another. They want to pit the passive role we play in being filled with the Spirit against the active role. There's dangers, and there are traps on both sides that we must avoid. I'll talk about those as we go along. Let's look at that first part. We have a passive role in being filled with the Holy Spirit. What this means is simply we don't control the Holy Spirit. I know uh, Brandon was talking about that, at least over there. He probably said some of, something similar here. We do not control the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is self-sufficient, right? Depending on nothing external to himself. That's what it means to be self-sufficient. He is sovereign over the universe. Uh, Isaiah 40, 13 and 14 say this. Who has directed the Spirit of the Lord, or as his counselor has taught him? With whom did he take counsel, and who instructed him, and taught him in the path of justice? Who taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding? And of course, the answer to all these questions is what? No one, right? No one has been the Holy Spirit's counselor. He is the counselor of counselors, right? No one has been the Holy Spirit's instructor. He's the instructor of instructors. No one has been a model for the Holy Spirit to follow. No, he is the model, right? Um, Psalm 135, 6 says, whatever the Lord pleases, he does. You could substitute the Holy Spirit in there, right? The Holy Spirit is co-equal with God the Father and God the Son. So whatever the Holy Spirit pleases, he does. In heaven and in earth, in the seas and all deep places. Acts 8 contains the story of Simon the sorcerer. You guys remember that story? Yeah. Um, so Peter and John and the rest of the, you know, the apostles are doing these amazing things, right? And Simon, who is steeped in magic and incantations and all that sort of stuff, um, he saw what Peter and John were doing as they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And so he wants to buy the Holy Spirit. And this is what Peter says in response to this desire in Acts 8, 20 through 23. Your money perished with you because you thought that the gift of God could be purchased with money. You have neither part nor portion in this matter for your heart is not right in the sight of God. Repent therefore of this, your wickedness, and pray God if perhaps the thought of your heart may be forgiven you. 
For I see that you are poisoned by bitterness and bound by iniquity. So Simon had the Holy Spirit all wrong. He thought it was like this power, this commodity that could be bought and sold, right? Um, and he was bitter. What was he bitter at? He was bitter at the following that Peter and John were gaining because Simon had the influence with the people in the area. And so he was jealous, and so he wanted to use the Spirit uh, for his own glory and power. Um, the Holy Spirit doesn't work that way. The Holy Spirit is not our slave that does our bidding. The Holy Spirit is not our servant who does what we say. The Holy Spirit is the boss, right? And we are not in control of it. Um, the reason that Peter and the apostles were able to perform the miracles that they performed was not because they controlled the Holy Spirit, but because the Holy Spirit controlled them. That's why they were able to do what they did. John 3, Jesus likens the Holy Spirit to the wind. And I think he does this for a couple reasons, but one reason is, think about the wind. Are we in control of the wind? No. Um, despite our advances in technology, we still have hurricanes, tsunamis, tornadoes. We're not in control of the wind. We're not in control of when it blows, how hard it blows, how long it blows. The wind does what the wind wants to do, right? So is the Holy Spirit. So, what does it mean to be passive and being filled with the Holy Spirit? It simply means we're not in control of when the Holy Spirit gives us a fresh feeling of whatever we need. We're not in control when the Holy Spirit blows into our life, how long, to what extent He fills us. He does what He pleases to do, wants to do, when He wants to do it, in the way He wants to do it. We are passive. We simply receive in that way. Okay? Now, we wish we could control the Holy Spirit, though. Would anybody raise your hand if you would say you're a control freak. Go ahead, don't be you know, ashamed. Yet, because I'm about to make you ashamed. <laughs> uh, all right, so maybe you didn't raise your hand, but who would say that in your, when you think about the people closest to you, even though you don't think you're a control freak, would others say you're a control freak? Anybody in that situation where you don't think you're a control freak, but people around you do think you are? I saw somebody pointing at somebody next to them. That's always great. <laughs> Emily, you're brave enough to raise your hand, right? All right. Here, what is underneath our des desire to control things? Fear. What's underneath our desire? Well, not our desire to fear, but what's underneath our fear and worry? What's under mistrust? Individualism. What's underneath individualism? Oh! Bing, bing, bong! Sarah got it. Pride. Underneath your desire to control is the belief that you can run your life better than the way God runs it. Underneath your fear and worry, most of the time, I would say, is the belief that you're better at running your life than God. Sorry, I made you feel ashamed, but it makes me feel ashamed as well, because I um, can have a tendency to worry 
um, and to, to control things. So, why is it good that then we're not in control of the Holy Spirit? This is why it's good. The Holy Spirit has all knowledge. We do not. And the Holy Spirit does not wrestle with sin like we do. And so if we had control of the Holy Spirit, it's good news we're not in control of the Holy Spirit is what I'm trying to say. Because if we had control of the Holy Spirit, we would be like Simon the Sorcerer, most likely. Or we would be like the disciples in our passage in verse 27. Peter and John and the rest of the crew, they were meditating on the fact that although people killed Jesus... And they were 100% responsible for it. God was 100% in control of it. Both of those things were simultaneously happening. That's a, happening. That's a mind bender. Now, if the disciples were in control of the Holy Spirit, what would have not happened? Jesus would have never died on the cross. They would have never allowed him to die on the cross. Remember, Jesus saying to Peter, get behind me, Satan, when Peter is saying, you know, far be it from me that you would ever suffer. And no. Get behind me, Satan. The disciples, if they were in control of the Holy Spirit, they would have committed the worst blunder the world has ever seen. And we would not be sitting here today, those of us who are in Christ through faith, redeemed and being restored and renewed each day. It's, a good, it's good news we're not in control of the Holy Spirit. Now, and this, this first point is way longer than the second, I think. So stay with me. The first step in being filled with the Spirit is to acknowledge you don't control the Spirit. And you got to be willing to do the Spirit's bidding. If you're not willing to do what the Spirit wants you to do, why would it fill you? Why would it fill you with power and courage to do things you want to do that are, are going to end up hurting you and others? Why would the Holy Spirit fill you? It's not going to. Now, I recently came across this analogy, which I think is helpful in understanding the passive and active components of being filled with the Spirit. Um, the author of the analogy compared it to sailing. So let's think about sailing. I don't really know much about sailing, but I do know, and the analogy states it, that if the sailor on the sailboat is going to travel the ocean, what are they utterly dependent upon? The wind, right? They're at the mercy of the wind. If there is no wind blowing, they're going to get nowhere. I suppose the sailor could, if he has oars, he could get those oars out and work really, 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 really hard. But eventually and very quickly, the sailor is going to burn out and little progress is going to be made. This is the danger of not realizing the passive nature of being filled with the Spirit. If we think that it's all up to us to be filled with the Spirit, to produce the fruit of the Spirit, to live courageously for Jesus in word and deed ministry that exalts Him, we are going to burn out quickly and very little progress is going to be made. We are dependent upon the Spirit's filling and the Spirit controls that. We don't. Okay? All right, let's go to the, the second thing uh, here. We have an active role of being filled with the Spirit. So it seems like I have a forked tongue, doesn't it? I'm saying, oh, well, we're passive in being filled with the Spirit. Now I'm saying we're active in being filled with the Spirit. 
It sounds like a contradiction. It's not because the way we are passive is different than the way we are active. So let me explain. How are we active? Let's go back to the uh, analogy of the sailor. Okay. So as the sailor is on his sailboat and he's waiting for the wind to blow, does the sailor sit and do nothing? No. I actually learned from the analogy that they, the sailor has a lot to do. Um, they have to put up the sails, pull the main sheet fast, and adjust the jib, which I have no, I didn't take the time to look and see what the jib is, but they got to adjust the jib, okay? So there's plenty for them to do. And even if the wind is blowing, uh, if their sail is not up, they're not going to catch it, right? Even if the wind is blowing powerfully, they're not going to catch it, okay? Now, this is what the author of the analogy writes, and I really like this. Sailing is the art of attentive responsiveness to an external power. You rely entirely on the external power to get you anywhere. Sailors never imagine themselves to be powering the boat by their own strength. That's the passive part. But you also have to respond attentively to whatever the wind is doing, which comes through cultivating awareness, skill, and good habits. So, the Holy Spirit, thankfully, it's not even an external power, it's an internal power. Holy Spirit dwells in us, but if we are going to be filled with the this, this Spirit that dwells inside us, we must cultivate an attentive awareness and responsiveness to what the Holy Spirit is doing in our lives and in the lives of others. I love that. Cultivate an awareness of and responsiveness to the Holy Spirit. How do we do this? What habits can we engage in that will allow us to be attentive and responsive to the Holy Spirit's movement so that when the Holy Spirit blows freshly, we get, we catch it. So that the sail of our life is up and ready. Okay, here we go. What were Peter, John, and the other disciples doing in our passage? Check this out. This is what they were doing. And this is not an isolated incident. This was the norm for them. By the way, you ever wonder how Jesus walked in step with the Holy Spirit? He engaged in these very same practices that we see the first Christians engaging in. The first Christians were together in community, processing what God was doing in their midst, engaging in prayer, the scriptures, the Great Commission, and reflecting on God's sovereignty and Christ's suffering. Let me talk briefly about each one of those together in community. The first Christians, did, they didn't have this idea that they could be a Lone Ranger Christian. That is such a Western American kind of view of Christianity that it can just be me and God. And I don't really need a church body. I don't need a small group. Um, that, is, that was so foreign um, to that culture back in that time, but especially to the first Christians because the Christians knew Back in that time, they were facing straight away opposition and suffering and persecution that they had to rely on one another to survive. And what they also knew is we got to be together in community because why? Well, each other person, every other person in our community is filled with the Holy Spirit too. And if I'm going to hear the Holy Spirit speak to me, guess what? He will often do it through another one of his people that I'm in community with. You know what else this protects you against? And this is critical, and this is why Lone Ranger, one of the reasons Lone Ranger Christianity is 
that's a contradiction in terms. But um, why it's so dangerous is because we don't always interpret the Holy Spirit correctly. And so, if I'm in community with other Christians that are filled with the Holy Spirit, guess what? Together, we have a better chance of hearing the Holy Spirit accurately. When people are separated from the body, and it's just them and God, they can get into some really strange, weird, um, false teaching that's deadly. And, and So, we need to be together in community. What were they doing in community? They were engaged in Scripture. They quote Psalm 2. They reference Isaiah 37, 16 through 20. What they were doing was choosing to view their circumstances through the lens of Scripture. As they were experiencing these threats, they were going to the Scriptures. Well, God, what, what have you already said about what we're experiencing? They were asking that question together. Um, what else then did they do? They responded to what they heard from God in Scripture with prayer. We see them praying. Um, we, the, the Holy Spirit, will, often fills us through when we pray. We receive fresh wind from the Spirit. Um, why are prayers so powerful? Prayer is so powerful. Here's why. Because the God we pray to is so powerful. There's no magic in our words, but because God is such an amazing God and such a good Father who loves to give, that's why our prayers are powerful. Um, anytime I think about the fact, the reality that God is a good Father who loves to give the, not just good gifts, the greatest gifts, the best gifts, the gifts we really need to His children, I constantly, almost always think of that Him, what a friend we have in Jesus. Oh, what peace in these lines in particular. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Life is difficult enough. I think we often make it even more difficult simply because we are not asking the God who loves to give for what we need. Right? You have not because you ask not. Right? Okay. What else were they doing? What else were they doing? They were reflecting on God's sovereignty. Um, they were going through the scripture and the scripture reminded them of God's sovereignty that exactly what the prophet said would happen happened to Jesus, right? And exactly what Jesus promised it was happening to them. And even in the worst evil the world has ever committed in crucifying the sinless son of God, God produced the greatest good the world has ever seen, right? A way for the world to be saved. And so, as these first Christians were reflecting on God's sovereignty, guess what then they came around to? Oh, our situation is an outside of God's control. If what happened with Jesus wasn't outside of God's control, and his resurrection is like absolute proof that it wasn't out of God's control, then what we're going through isn't out of God's control. And in fact, God must be allowing or causing these threats to happen to us. And so what did they pray for in their prayer? I mentioned this last week. They didn't pray for the suffering to be removed from them. They prayed that they would continue to be bold and courageous in spite of the threats and the opposition and the suffering. Why? Because they knew the suffering was a part of God's sovereign plan. What else did they reflect on? Well, they reflected on Christ's suffering, right? Often when we're going through difficult times, we think, well, God must not care. Anytime we have that thought, 
we got to let it go because what does Christ's suffering at least show us? We may not know why we're suffering, but we do know this. It's not because God doesn't care. He wouldn't have spared his one and only precious son if he doesn't care about us. And so anytime we reflect on what Jesus accomplished for us, even though we were, we were, we were opposing him, that can make us bold for whatever we're facing, knowing that God has got us even when we're walking through the fire. And then lastly, they were engaged in the Great Commission. The first Christians were all about discipleship. They were all about making disciples. That's what they lived for. And so everything fit into that, not the other way around. How they worked, how they played, how they used the resources, the relationship, it was all centered around King Jesus and his mission to make disciples of all nations. Now, that's why one of the reasons they were filled with the Holy Spirit. If you're not engaged in the Great Commission, and you're on the sidelines, and you attend to be on the sidelines, God's not going to fill you. Why would he fill you with his power and the Holy Spirit and courage? You don't need courage. Well, I guess you do because you're on the sidelines, but if you're not planning on getting in the game, you don't need to be resourced. And so we have to ask ourselves, am I playing a role in God's mission to make disciples? If not, why, why, would I, why should I expect to receive God's provision? Where God guides, he provides. But if we're not going where he guides, okay? So, um, these were the spiritual practices that they were engaged in. Now, every time we're engaged in these practices, are we going to receive a fresh dose of the Holy Spirit filling us? No. There are plenty of times when I engage in these practices and there is nothing. I don't want to do them. I do them. I don't enjoy it. Right? Let's all be real. Every single Christian that I've ever met is like this. Now, but more often than not, even though every time I'm not filled with the Spirit in some measure, in some way, more often than not, there is something there from the Holy Spirit. And that little bit that's there, then contributes to other little bits being there as I engage in these practices. And before I know it, I look back on the last five years or the last ten years, and I am so more conformed to the image of Christ than I was five or ten years ago. Okay? This is what happens. Now, I guarantee there's probably people here, or there's going to be somebody online that is, going to, is thinking this. I've engaged in these spiritual practices, and there has been nothing ever. Um... So, if that's you, I would like to challenge you, and I would say to you what I say to people who are considering counseling. Counseling is phenomenal if two conditions are present. You have a really good counselor that has expertise in the area you're struggling with. Secondly, if, the, if you go into counseling humbly, willing to really stare your junk in the face, and actually... Face it, deal with it, receive help, and then actually make changes in your life in response to what is revealed in counseling. If, you, if those two conditions aren't present, you're wasting your time, you're wasting your money, you're wasting the counselor's time who could be working with another client that is. I know people that have gone to counseling simply because they wanted to be able to say, I've tried it and it didn't work. 
So, um, if you engage these spiritual practices with that attitude of like, I'm not here to let the Holy Spirit do heart surgery, and I'm not here to do the Holy Spirit's bidding, and I'm not going to do what the Holy Spirit tells me He wants to do in my life, guess what? You're not, you're not going to... Those practices are going to be worthless. They're going to be worthless. You're wasting your time. No fruit's going to come with it. And so, I would challenge that person... With, with that. Now, can the Holy Spirit use other means than the practices I just mentioned to you to fill us and to teach us and to rebuke us and to support us? Of course. God used the, the, a donkey, right? God used the burning bush to speak to people. Now, should we go get a donkey and spend time with that donkey waiting for God to speak to us? No. Should we go like plant in our yard a million bushes and spend time around them waiting for God to fill us? No. Why? Because those were extraordinary events. Those weren't the norm. But we have the, the scriptures and we have the whole history of the church that show us these are the means by which the Holy Spirit, these are the avenues that it loves to blow through. And we set our sail to receive fresh wind from the Spirit when we engage in these practices. Can we determine that tomorrow, when I spend time in prayer, the Holy Spirit is going to do X, Y, and Z, like some magical formula? No, we're not in control of the Holy Spirit. But at least I'm putting myself in a position that if the Holy Spirit wants the blow, I will catch it, I will receive it, right? Now, these are such tried and true, like, spiritual practices where God often, the Holy Spirit often fills His people that they're, they're known as means of grace. That's what they're called. And means of grace are God's chosen instruments by which the Holy Spirit enables believers to grow in Christ's likeness. If you're not engaging in these spiritual practices, you are spiritually malnourished. Your soul is malnourished. You are not giving your spirit, your soul, the vitamins it needs. I think of these practices like my relationship to salad. <laughs> salad, um, you know, I don't always want to eat salad. And then sometimes I crave it. So sometimes I really don't need it. Sometimes it's all I want. Right? That's how I am with God. Sometimes like, I want to engage in these spiritual practices. And that's all I want to do. Sometimes it's not what I want to go work in my workshop. Or play my guitar. Or spend time with my family. But here's the thing. When I eat salad, no matter if I'm craving it or not, it is always good for me. Same thing with these practices. And so if you're not engaging in these practices, you are malnourished and you need to engage in them. You're not going to be filled with the Spirit. You're not going to catch fresh wind. And so, last thing I'll say, and we can bring this to the street level, what is the thing that is you're most struggling with today? What is the thing that's weighing on your soul the most? It's just weighing you down. Maybe it's the thing that Brandon, you know, as he told you to pray, it, it was the thing that you prayed about. I don't know what it is. But think about it. What would it mean then to take the thing that you're struggling with the most and to actually 
take that thing and engage in these spiritual practices with it so that if the Holy Spirit decides to blow, you'll receive a fresh filling so that you can move through it, not around it, not from it. All right, so take your thing, engage in community. Who are the brothers and sisters in Christ that are safe people that you can take your struggle to? So let's imagine you did that. And let's imagine you received support and challenge and prayer for the thing you're dealing with. All right, let's go to the next thing. Let's say now you're in community engaging in Scripture and you're considering what, the, what has God already said about your thing that you're dealing with. What has he said? What relates in the scriptures to what you're dealing with? What if you're doing that? And then what if you then respond to what God reveals to you through his word by talking to him about it? And then what if you're reflecting with your problem on God's sovereignty and what that means for you today? And then what if you take your problem and you're reflecting on the great lengths that Christ went to so that you could be redeemed? And you're reflecting on that. What does that mean for your problem? And then let's say you're engaged in the Great Commission and you're discipling other people or you're helping the church, to, you know, other people in the church disciple others. Somehow you're contributing to the Great Commission. Look, we cannot control when the Holy Spirit blows, but I am willing to bet that if you're regularly and consistently with an attitude of humility engaging in these spiritual practices, eventually you will hit pay dirt. Eventually, the Holy Spirit's going to blow, and you're going to receive a fresh filling to get through whatever it is that you're going through. Let's pray. Oh, last example, real life. So a couple of weeks ago, I was talking about how the Holy Spirit makes us generous people who really care for the family of God. And a perfect example is my wife. She comes to the service ready, ready to learn, ready to hear from the Holy Spirit. She comes humbly. And through the service, it's impressed upon her heart that she needs to go home and make dinner for everybody in our life group. Make individual dinners for everybody in our life group. And deliver them to them or get them to them somehow because it's a busy time of the year. Most of them are teachers, if not, yeah, most of them are teachers. And so, filled with the Spirit, hearing from the Spirit, she's responding to do the Spirit's bidding. And I didn't, you know, to be honest, I was kind of like, man, really? Like, I almost was sad I preached the sermon I preached because we had so much to get done that day. And she spent the day... I'm like, you're a teacher. It's in the school year for us. And so we started the week like a bomb blew off in our house. And I hate starting the week where it's like, I can't even find clean underwear in this house. <laughs> but how can you argue with the Spirit speaking to her and her desire that I just have to do this, right? And so you do it, right? So little example, but it happened because she came to the community of God Worship with the community of God in the Spirit spoke to her. Let's pray. Lord, Jesus, thank you so much for who you are to us and what you've done for us. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you love us, that you dwell inside of us, in that we're not in control of you. That is truly good news. Um, help us to understand that our desire to control is um, deep down in, it really is this idea, this foolish idea that we can run our lives better than you can. 
help us to, to call it what it is. And Holy Spirit, redirect our hearts to your goodness and your wisdom and that you know best. Holy Spirit, thank you that we are not in control of when you fill us, to what extent, how long. Um, you know what we need, when we need it, and the way we need it. Um, and so we, we're thankful that you're in control and that we're passive in that regard. And yet, Holy Spirit, um, help us to understand also that we have an active, we, we wait, but not passively, we wait actively, and there are things for us to do, to set the sail of our hearts so that we're in a position to be attentive and responsive to when you want to speak to us. I pray that the people in this room would be engaged in these spiritual practices that we mentioned, um, humbly expecting you to fill them and speak to them and guide and direct them. Lord, I understand, and your scripture is clear. If we're going to be filled with the Spirit and if we're going to be a body of believers that you work through to see major change happen in this community and in our places of work and in our schools and in our families, we have to be setting the sail of our hearts so that you can blow and we can receive what you're here, what you're wanting to give us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.